Oh, I'm not saying that. I know, I'm just kidding. Alright, uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, God, I pray for open hearts, open minds. I pray that people are changed tonight by your spirit and your spirit alone. I submit this time to you. I thank you that everybody made it here tonight. Um, at least close-ish to on time. I mean, it wasn't that awful. <laughs> I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. Amen. So this is weird. We don't have a PowerPoint, right? That's a little bit different. You know why? It's because we're in the <laughs> Start over. <laughs> you know why we don't have a PowerPoint? It's because when we have a PowerPoint, you all just like gloss over, don't even pay attention, you don't take it with you after you leave. The same things that we teach on Wednesday come up Sunday, and it's like if you haven't even heard it. It's like a new revelation or something. So that retention is awful. Um, nobody really takes notes either. Nobody like, you know what we used to do is like, you used to like take pictures of the board and be like, wow, these are the verses I'm going to look over later. And now it's just not there. So um, we're going back a little bit just to kind of drive that home into you that um, this is serious. This is important. And uh, you get what you uh, put in. So if you treat it with the way that it deserves, um, you know, I mean, you water the seeds inside of you, they're going to grow. If you don't, they die. It's honestly that simple. So that's why we moved back. It's not because I didn't make a PowerPoint. It's not because I didn't have time to make a PowerPoint. I've prepped these teachings. It's, it is what it is. I have plenty of time. I could have. I don't have plenty of time, but I still could have. <laughs> um, so we'll just hit it. Who's got the first one? All right, from the diaphragm. First Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So the question that has to be asked is, do you treat your uh, Christianity, your faith, your walk with the Lord, if you will, do you treat it like um, practice boxing, which isn't anything? It's just like hitting the air. Just kind of going after it a little bit. It's called shadow boxing. Sorry. Thank you. Or do you actually take it seriously? Are you training for something? So when you train for powerlifting competition, I, you know, that's what I train for. Um, you train to win. Train to do your best. There's a lot. There's a giant gap in the mindset between somebody who just goes to the gym and somebody who's training for a competition. Faith is, is, is the same way, but only infinitely more important. So honestly, what I'm saying like right now is drop the phone, drop all of your distractions, stop with this like game about how you're just here to be impressed by me. I don't care. I really don't. If you're just here to be impressed by me, then like you can go listen to plenty of the podcasts. You can even listen to this later. Like we'll post it. It's fine. Don't look up to me. Just be spoken to by the Spirit of God. That's all I'm asking tonight. And so, like, put away your distractions. 
drop the phone, whatever. If you want to take notes, that's fine. But if it's even a little bit of a distraction, just drop it, leave it behind, and take a picture later. You'd like, all of this, it's just scripture, it's nothing new, it'll be okay. All right? No shadow boxing tonight. Oh, I do have an analogy. This comes from one of my professors. I love him a lot. I drew it here, actually. This is a chicken, and this is a pig. All right? Now, for those of you who don't know biology, or degree in biology, um, eggs and bacon actually come from chickens and pigs, respectively. All right? So this is what my professor says, though. He says, the classic American breakfast of eggs and bacon comes from two animals, but here's the thing about the two animals, right? The chicken makes a contribution, but the pig makes a commitment. <laughs> so when you're thinking about how you approach any discussion, any talk of faith, any talk of what you're doing in the moment, the question should be asked, are you chicken or are you pig? Are you just kind of looking to make a contribution to somebody, to somebody's lives, to even a community of faith? You know, because like a lot of us go to a church and we're like, oh, how can I serve? And what we're really asking is, how can I contribute? And that's a fine thing. You know, I mean, it's not breakfast if you don't have the eggs, right? But it's definitely not breakfast if that pig doesn't make that commitment. I just like that a lot, and I think it goes with that scripture. Alright, so that was my introduction. Now we're actually going to get started with what we're talking about tonight. Uh, John 3.16, the classic. I want it read in the English Standard Version, unless said otherwise. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The classic, John 3.16. Pretty sure we know that. That's fine. First John 4.9. Fight over it. Take it. Come on. I got it. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So, first John 4 9, let's practice some exegesis. How is the love of God made manifest? Oh my God. <laughs> Alright, let's just like somebody like be confident and be a pig just for like God sent his son. Thank you. That's how the love of God is made manifest. Are we tracking? Yep. Yes. <laughs> You're probably asking, okay, but like what does that actually mean, like the love of God? What are you talking about here? Well, that's a good question. I'm really glad you asked. But before we do that, we actually need some background from the Old Testament. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 8-9, hit it. All right. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So that particular passage is actually referencing the dispersion of all nations in the Tower of Babel, right? But, but it says the Lord kept for himself Jacob, or Israel, as his own inheritance. That was the Lord's portion in the Old Testament. You're probably like thinking to yourself, shoot, but like I'm not Jewish, so I'm not the Lord's portion. And well you would you'd be right. 
you know? But got some good news for you. Somebody read First uh, Peter 2 9. For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. For his it, own possession? That sounds like Deuteronomy language to me. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So in the Old Testament, it was just Israel, but in the New Testament, it's everybody who proclaims the name of Christ. Are we okay with that? Do you, like, do you want more explanation on that? I can, I can talk about that for hours if we need. But it's not really exciting. You know what is exciting? Titus 3, 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Holy. All right. Go back. Read it again. Everybody focus in. Listen closely. Read it like you mean it. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He saved us not by works done in righteousness, but by his mercy poured out in Jesus Christ. So that, this is important. This is like super, super important. This is the, like the entire point of reading three verses. So that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs. Nice. <laughs> so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs. Heirs. Go back and read first Peter two nine again. Somebody's got it. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are we starting to get the picture a little bit? Something starting to take shape? It's fine. Just keep all this in mind. Is to build context. Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Did you start in verse 14? Yeah. Awful. Start in 15. <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> you did. It's okay. I, I 100% know you started in 14. So. <laughs> Okay. It's okay. <laughs> For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our heart, with, with our spirit, that we are children of God. And of children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in glory, that we may also be glorified with him. So here's the thing with most like churches, most like teachings on this message. It's all cool, and that's fine. Um, geez. I hear it a lot like when like people say grace. That's because like it's the one time a day they'll pray. But they'll be like, oh, dear Heavenly Father. 
thank you for the weather or like something like that. I don't know. But like they like dear heavenly father. I don't know what that what that is. That's just kind of weird to me. Um, because Paul talks about crying out Abba, not dear heavenly father. So I don't know. I just I think what we miss. Honestly, I think what we miss is the is is the actual reality of the idea that we are heirs, that we are sons, that we are children, that we are not called into the spirit of slavery, but the spirit of sonship. And if sonship, then heirs. Right. So it's not just like God is my heavenly Father. Yes, sure, whatever. That's weird language. I'm not gonna say like Lucas is my earthly brother. <laughs> Especially not to his face. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'm not going to go to Lucas and say, like, good evening, earthly brother. Good evening. Here's the thing. Paul didn't. He didn't. He didn't call God Heavenly Father. So, Abba is a super casual word, guys. Like, ultra casual. Honestly, it's the equivalent of, like, dad. Now, if you were to pray, and you were to literally just fall on your knees and say, Dad, why does that feel weird to you? That just like that messes with you, because like as soon as you think Dad, you think of your earthly father, and that's fine. You know, because that's who you call Dad, but why don't you call God the Father Dad? If in fact you've received a spirit of sonship. Why don't you just act like it a little bit? I mean, just like maybe once a day actually believe it. I don't know. Why does that bother you so much to call God Dad? Because, because like when anybody in the world prays to any God or whatever, um, they'll usually try to earn that God's grace. They'll usually try to earn that God's love and respect and whatever. And, and we do this in our own Christianity, too. We try to bring our best self to God. You know, we try to come to the prayer with the right words. You hear that a lot, like when people pray for things and things don't happen, they're like, oh, I probably said the wrong words. Yeah, and God wasn't happy with you, so he punished you or something like that. I don't know. That sounds weird to me. Because that's not the God I know. But the God I know is one of adoption and not of works. I mean, you go back to the Titus, he saved us, not by works done in righteousness. Even, even works done in righteousness, guys. And James says faith without works is dead. So, like, faith without works done in righteousness is dead, but we're not saved by them. It's about the fruit that your faith bears. When you're saved, it's not by works done in righteousness. Ephesians says it's saved by grace so that no man may boast. Because if it was done by righteousness, your faith, your relationship with God would depend on what you do. And if your relationship with a holy God depends on what you do, you're never going to meet him. Or else he's not holy. Oh, I got a big passage for you. When you read it, slow down and you read it. And if you're not reading it, listen and actually like listen to hear it. You got it? Yep. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, 
in order that we might be justified by faith. And now, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from the slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent into spirit of his son, or he has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? Some of that language sound familiar? Maybe a little bit. Fair to say it was important to Paul? A little bit. Paul existed in a world that was filled with many gods. And many iterations of his own god. So it's important to both set his god apart as the god of adoption. But also to set his god apart as the completion of the law. Before Jesus... It was a time for Jesus. And the chosen people of God. Israel. Right? We talked about that. Remember that? Jacob is Israel. Are we all okay with that? They were under law. Because Jesus hadn't come. The law was the, the guardian of the house. Of the people. Of the heirs. Until they turned 18. Right? And once they were 18, they got their trust fund. And then they could inherit the business empire. Are we tracking? Like that happens to people. Right? So what Paul is saying is the law was here until Christ came. And when Christ came, you got the... I don't know. What are we on? <coughs> reality TV channel. Your dad's a reality TV channel mogul. Right? You're six years old. Dad's not here. Where's all the money that's yours? Do you have it? No, you're six. <laughs> a manager has it, right? Somebody your dad trusts. Somebody your dad trusts. The manager is the law, all right? When you turn 18, the manager says, hey kid, you're all grown up now. Here's your dad's reality TV empire. Does that make sense? Are we all tracking? The law is the manager. Israel is the child. Jesus Christ, death on the cross, is the 18th birthday. The spirit is the reality TV empire.
right. <laughs> Honestly, that passage confused me for a long time. So actually, it's funny because Jesus tells a story about this in a way. Um, Luke 15, 11 through 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. That's the story of the prodigal son that you referred to. you're like oh this is so basic like we all know this you all know this if you know it why don't you just act like it you can't say you know this even if you know it up here you don't know it down here you can't say you know this and then when I tell you to just call God dad in your prayer that freaks you out you're like I would never he's the Lord of heaven and earth you're right he is You're absolutely right, he is. But when the prodigal son came back, he had that moment where he's like, I'm not even worthy to be in your household. That moment's real. That moment's there. But do you know what the father does? He says, you were dead and now you're alive. 
Just get inside and eat. Have your moment. Have your moment where you're like, oh, no, I can't call Dad. I can't call God Dad. I can't do any of that. There's no intimacy between me and the Father. You're right. There's not. There wasn't. You were estranged. You were dead in your sin. Whatever. That's fine. Have that moment. But then, immediately after that, to stop there is to do the spirit of adoption a disservice. It's honestly, it's the same things that the church in Galatia did. They try to put themselves back under law. So literally, like when you have that moment, you're like, oh, okay, what do I do now? I'll just go back to law. That makes sense. I mean, that's what the, the, the I call him the kid, the prodigal son tried to do. That's what he tried to do. He said, no, just make me a servant. Let me earn your grace. And that's what we do. But it's not grace if you earn it. Father says, no, just come inside and eat. You were dead and you were alive. He said that like three times, guys. It was important. He was dead as his child. He literally took his inheritance, his part in the family. Everything that would link him to the father. He just took it and spent it, squandered it, wasted it, trashed it. He had no right coming back. It would have been a mercy to let him earn it. But it's grace to throw him a feast because he's alive now. You've heard the story before. I get it. I get it. I know. You don't care. Whatever. Start caring. I literally, like, it just bothers me that I have to teach this. Honestly, it really does. I have so many other things I want to talk about, like deep, out there kind of stuff. We can go like we can go a million miles an hour if we could. If we could, we could get there. We could like see just a massive Holy Spirit powered revival on campus. We really could, and I believe that with my whole heart. But if you would just take the simple stuff seriously, then we could actually see it. I mean, if, if we talk about revival in Indianapolis, but we don't even do anything, we don't even talk about the spirit of adoption, we don't even call like call God Dad in our own prayers, you know why I keep messing up? You want to know why? It's because I do call him Dad. So when I talk about him, obviously, like, I'm almost going to be there. If Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, why are we any less than Paul? We should be exactly like him. <laughs> Paul murdered a lot of people, guys. <laughs> no, like, I'm serious. Paul murdered a lot of people. He was against the Holy Spirit. He was against the church. He was, like, against... Everything that had to do with Jesus Christ and the crucifixion and the Messiah and the undoing of the law. He was like, he knew every rule written like down. He could recite them all off. The entire book of Leviticus was probably memorized in this dude's head. Right? That was Paul. So tell me you're more gone than Paul. And then maybe we can talk about why you can't call God dad. But you got to murder a lot of people 
for a lot of bad reasons for me to even have that conversation with you. And I'm willing to have that conversation. Talk to me later if you have it. Anybody? <laughs> and if you do, I won't tell anybody. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm saying it. I'm serious though. I'm serious though. If you're like, oh no, I can't. I can't be adopted into the family of God. I can't be an heir. That's fine. You tell me whatever you think is so awful that you don't deserve anything. And I'll probably tell you you're right. You don't deserve it. But that's kind of the point. Yeah. All right. So just like get that weird condemnation off. Have your moment and just kind of get over it. Okay? The prodigal son realizing his entire life is worthless and he's enslaved to the wrong man and that he's not getting fed worth anything and that he's probably going to die and that things were better that things were better even as a servant in his father's house than what they are right now. Even as somebody who's trying to earn it, he's like, man, like things are better for those trying to earn it than they were for me like now. The other thing is there are actually two sons uh, in the prodigal son story. Um, we actually named it the prodigal son story. It wasn't named that. It was just a parable that Jesus taught. So Jesus actually didn't title his uh, parables. <laughs> Believe it or not, those little <laughs> titles you see in your Bible, those were from people. The little numbers, too. <laughs> so you're like, oh, man, we read straight through a chapter break. Yeah, we did. I wouldn't have put a chapter break there, just honestly. I feel like you can't really start a chapter with and or whatever. <laughs> but again, those are from people. What? It starts with I mean. Like it's literally explaining the verses right before it. And we were like, ah, new chapter. It's literally the, um, I think it's Hebrews 12. It starts with therefore. Therefore. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, therefore. I'm talking about the great cloud of witnesses chapter. Um, second son. Yes. He had he had his little moment of jealousy, right? I mean, as as soon as the the lost prodigal son came back in, a second son was like, "What the heck? You never threw a party for me. What's going on, Dad? I've served you faithfully. I've gone to church every Sunday. I served on the hospitality team. I play on the worship team. I go to Bible study. I read my Bible. I have a 700-day streak on the Bible app. All this stuff. He did that, and he's like, you never threw me a party. Where's my party? He could have. Here's the thing. When the prodigal son took all his inheritance and left, everything that was left is owed to the older son. There's nothing, there, there are no other sons. Everything left is his. 
People say, oh, you never threw me a party. You never gave me any of that stuff. It's already yours. Yeah. He did the thing where he tried to earn it. So here's my question. Are you trying to make God throw a party for you? Is that what you want? You want like a little lamb, a little feast, everything like that? Are you, are, are you so anointed in your ministry that God deserves to throw a party for you? With what? What's God going to throw the party for? You Like you, with your inheritance? That's kind of presumptuous, isn't it? Like, I'm not going to go to Juliet and say, yo, dude, we're having a party, and then like drink all our beer. <laughs> like, that's... <laughs> you understand how not cool that is? <laughs> We tracking. God's not gonna throw you a party with your own inheritance. <laughs> You're gonna throw the party for your brother who was dead and now is alive. That's what the party is for. It's not for you, it's already your stuff. The party is for those that have returned. Those that were dead and now are alive. Now, are you like Half as rich as you were, sure. I mean, I guess like in the story, he did blow like half of the family money. You're okay. Everything's going to be all right. Throw him a party, and what does he say? He's just, go back inside and celebrate. He was dead. He's alive. This is yours anyway. Stop feeling entitled. I honestly... If we were, like, entitled at all to the inheritance of God, what's the, uh, oh, this is awful. Um, <laughs> all right, we're going to go there. So Jehovah's Witnesses, <laughs> let me finish. They have a doctrine of 144,000, right? And so they, have, they do this super weird thing during communion where they say, all right, if you are in the, the theology, basically, to simplify it way down, right, we don't need to go into it too much, but if you are the 144,000 who are saved and secured in the kingdom of heaven, then you can take communion. Right? That's, that's what they say. And so during communion, everybody just sits. Nobody takes it. Nobody takes communion unless they have, like, an elder who's, like, 60 years, like, who's been in the church his entire life, who's done all these works and all this stuff and checked off all the boxes and been like the best older son that he could be for his entire life. And then, and then, only then, only sometimes, only if he's feeling like really hopped up in his own self-righteousness, he'll stand up and go take communion and everybody will be like, wow. <laughs> Saved and secured 144,000 right there. That's the man. So my question for that is, Paul, if Paul was safe and secure, then I don't really know why you're not. But. but here's the thing. If we could earn it, if we had that attitude, if we were almost like could elevate ourselves to, to that place where we, we could feel like we can step forward and earn back our sonship, that opens the door for that attitude where some people have it, some people don't, some people get it, some people don't, and some people are more anointed than others. Some people have a, a greater gifting in their lives. Oh, you know what I hate? I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. There's such a big con. 
<laughs> what is that? There's such a big call in your life. No, there's a cost, and it's your entire life. It's every breath you breathe. There's no call. You don't get a call on your life based on how you were born. That's like a super 19th century thing, and it was called racism. <laughs> that's, not, that's not around anymore. That's not okay. You don't deserve things just because you're born special. There's no greater call in your life than what you've already given God. God will not hold himself back from you. And, okay, An another patriarchs in the Jewish culture, right? They did not run. They did not. Because to run is to place more importance on where you're going than who you are. I mean, like, if you're a patriarch, you'll arrive in your own time and everything will be okay. It's that, it's that thing from Lord of the Rings. It's, uh, a wizard is never late. Never late or early, but never late early, early, precisely right, when right. he means to. Precisely when he means to. Like, right, that's... So, Gandalf is an ancient Jewish patriarch. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't run. They don't run. We miss it now because, like, we just... I'll start sprinting on the drop of a hat. I don't care. <laughs> but we miss it because we're not, that doesn't make sense. We're out of context. But for the father to run is to say, I literally don't care. I will look like a fool for your sake. And you know what? Honestly, he totally did because he was crucified like a common criminal for a crime he didn't commit. So there's that. Where did I start with that? Right before I talked about Gandalf as an ancient Jewish patriarch. Uh, running. Yeah, right before, before that, right before that. Oh. Uh, two sons, older son. Two sons. Two sons, older son. That's fine. Yeah. Don't be the older son. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. You can be either son because they both end up going into the party. So. <laughs> I mean, just like go into the party. Don't just sit outside. <sighs> Give me a second. I'm going to... I think that's it. God abandoned his station to bring you back into the fold. I think that speaks enough. So I'm just going to say it again. God abandoned his station to bring you back into the family. Despite the fact that you're on your knees trying to earn it. If you're the prodigal son of the story. You know what the older son did is he watched him and then he was kind of upset about it. Because he said in his heart, he hasn't done that for me. So the question has to be asked. Okay, so you're the older son. All of the inheritance is yours. And the inheritance, which by the way, that after Jesus Christ died, the law, the steward, gave it over to you. Are we okay with that? 
Do I need to explain that further? That inheritance, you have that now. And you're like, okay, so I'm not supposed to be upset when we party about people who have died and then been resurrected unto life. Not supposed to be upset about that. Right. How do I stop from being so bitter and angry? Well, here's the thing. If your father is a reality TV mogul, when you turn 18 and you're given that, what are you expected to do? Sell it all and go to a foreign country, party it away. Shoot, not that. What are you expected to do? You're expected to take over the empire. After you receive the inheritance, it becomes yours to steward. That's the point of being an heir. The point of being an heir is to model your life after your father's before you. Cool? Yeah. So you're probably wondering, okay, but what's, what's that look like? Like, what's that mean? <laughs> Again, dude, good questions. You're right on target. <laughs> Thank you. Last two. Read them back to back. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Wait, okay, so why did Jesus come? To destroy the works of the devil. Exegesis. Exactly, we're right on, we're tracking. I know I said read them back to back, I lied. So if Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, would you say that Jesus is the Son of God? Are we cool? Yeah. Now, I, I know I said something without backing it up with Scripture. If you need Scripture for that, please come to me afterwards, and we can find some. Um, I firmly affirm the doctrine of the deity of Christ, and we can fight about it. Jesus is the Son of God. One might say he is the firstborn of all creation, preordained from the creation of the world to die for the unrighteous. That sounds like scripture. Yeah, it sounds like scripture. Is it? Yeah, it is. So, if Jesus is the firstborn son of God, would you say he's an heir too? Maybe, maybe an heir alongside us. All right. So, so, here's the thing. If we're both heirs to the same empire... Same reality TV empire. <laughs> when we turn 18, do we have the same job? Yes, we do. So, so if Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and then upon his death, we receive the inheritance of his kingdom, what then is our job? To destroy the works of the devil. Destroy the works of the devil. A little louder. That's okay. John 6.29. Jesus, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You believe in him who he has sent. You believe in Christ because that's who God sent. Probably wondering, okay, but how do I destroy the works of the devil? 
building up faith. It's honestly that simple. And so here's my question. If this is so basic, if this is so obvious to you, that you're like, oh, I've heard this sermon a hundred times before, uh, do you build up the faith around you in life? Are there people in your life that you can say, yeah, I watered and planted seeds of faith into their life, and they're better off because of it? Because, honestly, if not, you got some serious older brother syndrome going on, and you're just not really doing anything with your father's house. And then as soon as he spends money on something, you're like upset about it. You're like, okay, but you never did anything for me. You're not a servant. No, servant of all is the greatest in the kingdom. I get that. What I'm saying is you're not a servant in the household of God. You are an heir. Huh? You are not a slave, you are not a servant, you are not a housemaid, you don't just clean up the church, you don't just serve on the hospitality team, but you are an heir to the kingdom of heaven. With that comes work. And that's okay. Because, I mean, mortality rates after retirement just (laughs) skyrocket, honestly. Very dangerous thing to do. No, the point is, the point is, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and life more abundant. The work that you do upon receiving the inheritance, that's John 10.10. The work that you do upon receiving the inheritance is life and life more abundant. It's absolutely worth every second and every breath of your life. Much more so than sitting in a foreign country, squandering your inheritance, whatever power you have, or whatever, squandering it, and then being enslaved to something else and not really getting enough money for food. That's what happened to the, to the kid, part of the son. What, not a good situation. That's not, that's not it. Life and life more abundant is to do the work of your father with the resources of his household. Servant of all, I agree, but heir to one. And honestly, honestly, when you pray, maybe, maybe, but you can take it to the leader. You might do what Paul did. Try calling him dad. Because maybe the reason that you just like feel super disconnected is because you are. Because you're running and you're trying to be a servant and he's trying to make you a son or daughter, child. I think of things in my own terms, I'm sorry. He's trying to make you a child and you're just, you don't have it. So he like comes running to you, right? You like you return and you're like, I'm not worthy. And he comes running to you and he's like trying to stand you up and you're like, no, 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 I'm not worthy. And he's like, put on the cloak. You're like, no, 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 I'm not worthy. You're totally right. But that's not really your call to make anymore. Just try 
being as intimate with him as he wants you to be. And if you make that difference in your life, for one, I could teach something more exciting. <laughs> Honestly, I love teaching. I really do. But uh, I got other stuff, guys. I spent a lot of time in prayer. I spent a lot of time learning. There's other stuff I'm going to teach. And honestly, there, there are more arrows that you need to undo the principalities and powers that are in Indianapolis. If you feel under-equipped for the, top, the task in front of you, which, again, is the, uh, the total spiritual renewal of the city, so be explicit with that. If you feel under-equipped, you probably are. And you should, I don't know, do like a sling with stone or something. <laughs> you should get equipped, but not by the world, not by the way that seems right to a man, but by God. If you feel underprepared, you are. Be intimate with God so we can do this thing together and we can really start taking some ground. It's been too long. It's been way too long. We need to start moving. Things are going to heat up, but we got to be serious about it. So here's the thing. If you want to talk to somebody, Kylie's back there. That's Kylie. Juliet's right here. Colin's right here. Molly's right here. These are four people I trust with my life and honestly, also with yours. Because, like, we know it's, like, one thing to trust, like, oh, yeah, whatever. But, like, I trust them with you as well. Here's the thing. I like teaching. Uh, yeah, you can stop it. <laughs>